to the Working Poet Radio Show. This is your host, Joseph Lappin. I'm here with Nick Flynn. Of course, Nick Flynn has worked as a ship's captain, electrician, and as a caseworker with homeless adults. His most recent book is My Feelings from Grey Wolf, a collection of poems. Nick Flynn has received fellowships and awards from, among other organizations, the Guggenheim Foundation, Penn, and the Library of Congress. Some of the venues, his poems, essays, and nonfiction have appeared and include The New Yorker, The Parish Review, and NPR's This American Life. He is currently a creative writing faculty, he's a professor at the University of Houston. Nick, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Great. So, you know, this is the Working Poet Radio Show. It's about the creative journey. It's about work. So, I know you've worked as a ship captain, electrician, and famously in a uh, homeless shelter. So, tell me about how work has influenced your career journey and your craft? Well, I mean, I, I was always, uh, you know, I grew up in, I'd, I'd call it a working class family, just in that, you know, the, the strange class dynamics in America. My mother grew up, you know, we, we'd call it owning class or something. You know, her parents were uh, quite wealthy. But uh, when she, you know, rebelled, you know, got pregnant, got married to someone that they didn't like. She sort of fell off, fell down a lot, and then she got divorced. So she was like 20 years old and single mother and working three jobs. And so that was the reality I knew growing up was this working class reality. Um, and, I, you know, I, I could see the good. I could see the hard stuff from it, but I could also see a lot of the good from it, which was just the people that, you know, we were around. <clears throat> Excuse me. The people who were around, it just it seemed like, you know, we were comfortable going anywhere. There wasn't any sort of, like, sense of, like, oh, these people are scary or something, or this is like a, you know, we would just go and, and hang out with these working class people, and, we, you know, we were working class. And so just, and, and just to know things, know how to do things seemed really important. Our, our house was really fucked up, and, uh, you know, so we had to, like, fix it, and we had to, like, you know, we just had to know how to do stuff, you know, like, because otherwise it wouldn't, you know, you'd you wouldn't eat, you wouldn't, you'd freeze, you'd, you know, and fix the car, you know, how to get the car running and stuff. And all that stuff was like, it's just sort of knowing how to move through the world in a way and not be afraid of it was the good, the good part of that. The bad part is like, you know, it sucks that there's a whole, you know, rigorous class system with a huge divide that's like, you know, like getting worse and worse and people are just falling into the crevasse forever, into the abyss of it. You know, that's the, that's the downside of it. You know, like, like, you know, when I was growing up, the, the, the gap wasn't so big, you know, it was sort of like not as a, you know, some people had a little bit more, some people had less, but it was, you, you know, you could still get by, you know, and now it's just like, you know, my mother's a single mother working like a shitty job, she could still like, you know, own a house, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think it's, you know, a disaster the way things have turned in this country. Um, Tell me more about her work ethic for you and what did that mean? Well, I mean, you know, there's also there's, there's the light sides and the dark sides of that. Like she, you know, she, she was very independent and she like really, you know, she got up and went to work every day and, uh, you know, she did what she had to do. She like, um, you know, showed up for work and did, you know, did it well and was, you know, was promoted and, uh, and stuff like that. But they were shitty jobs, you know, they were like, you know, within those, in a bank and in, in restaurants and uh, stuff like that. And, you know, where there's just only so much you can do with it. And she didn't have an education, you know, a higher education. And uh, so there was certain limits built in. She was a woman, you know. Um, so those things are like, you know, they seem like real, the work ethic thing was really good. And like, I was, you know, I was working when I was like 11, you know, 
delivering papers, mowing lawns. Like, you know, we were the kids that did that in our neighborhood. And that it just, it's just you get up in the morning and just you sort of like, there's not, there's certain things you don't question, you know. But then there's the existential questions start to blow through you, like, uh, you know, cold winds. And, and you know, they, they, catch, they catch you and they catch you at, at, at vulnerable times in your life. And, you know, they can lead you to do terrible things and, and, and uh, into like, you know, these tragedies. Um, when you're working. Well, yeah, when you're working, you can do that. Yeah, you can sort of make choices working that are like not like the best choices. Uh, you make choices just on, on the days off, you know. Um, you know, I was thinking, I mean, my mother did a few things that were, you know, they were really, you know, straight ahead, good worker and stuff. And then a few things that were really shady, you know. She did some, you know, she, you know, she was dating. The guys she dated were, you know, a lot of them were, were rough guys. I mean, they were sweet guys, but they were also in the view of the world, they'd be rough guys because, you know, they went to jail and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she did work with them. Like she ended up doing work with uh, people that would that needed banks to launder money and stuff. And so she worked with them a little, um, you know, illegal stuff. Uh, you know, which then brings certain chaos into your life. And you know, and sort of make choices in order to have a little bit more. You make choices that are, you know, hard choices that end up bringing chaos into your life. And you know. That stuff. That stuff is hard, you know. That Tell me about hard. your jobs. I mean, in the, sh- the shittier jobs, and what was the poetry in those moments? You know, I never the shittier job. I mean, I, I always got fired from my shitty jobs because my mother worked in restaurants her whole life, and uh, uh, I had I had such an attitude about like restaurant work because I mm-hmm. I knew that when I saw someone treating me badly, like I didn't really care about myself, but I, I realized that that's how people treated my mother. And so I'd just like sort of go nuts on them, which you can't really do if you're serving people. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really throw money at people or tell them to fuck off or, you know, so I got fired from all my restaurant jobs. Um, I just wasn't, I'm not suited for it. <laughs> I'm not suited for that. So that's why I had to get jobs where I had control. Like being an electrician where people are afraid of you, actually. You know, you go into a house and, and people are like, you know, even all the carpenters, the plumber, everyone's afraid of the electrician. Cause why? You, well, because what you're doing can kill you. Like instantly, and and they're they're like, well, you know, they can't do everything. Stops until the electrician comes, you know, mm-hmm. like like, and no one's going to touch it, you know, because mm-hmm. it's you know, if they do touch it, they'll, you know, bad things will happen. So, you know, there, you know, I, I certainly had like control issues, you know, I probably still do. So there's, you know, I have these interviews. There's always a moment for everyone who comes in here, from the computer scientist to, you know, like Rick Moody was just in here. There's there's a moment where you recognize that you know you're an outsider that. You're different somehow, and that applies to the creative journey. That this propels you on that path to fulfilling this desire to express yourself, whatever form it is. What was that moment for you, growing up in situate, or when did that happen for you? Well, I mean, the outsider thing. I mean, my I, my desperation as a kid was just to be normal, just to fit in, because we were we seemed so outside the norm. My, you know, having a single mother at that time, no, you know, no one was divorced. My mother was dating guys, dating some married guys. It was we were Protestant in a Catholic town. Mm-hmm. Um, there was all sorts of stuff that sort of kept us kept me feeling separate. So I just tried to be really normal uh, until that sort of started to break down. That normalcy started to break down, and I, you know, I broke it down with drugs and alcohol like pretty early on. And, uh, and then just find this other group of misfits, you know, that sort of would fit into that. Um, that, that, you know, there was a, yeah, I realized there was a whole, like, band of misfits. And they weren't really creative, necessarily, uh, but I did find, I found, like, a little group of, for me, in, 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 junior, in junior high school, uh, this buddy Phil and Charlie, and we were, like, the, they were the two artists in the school, and I sort of became friends with them. And that's how I think I became an artist, was, like, finding these two friends that were actually 
creative people. They didn't care about the, what other people thought of them. Uh, and we just sort of started making stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that was really important to have, a, to have other people that you could actually look at and see. Like, but it wasn't in my family. There wasn't like, you know, it wasn't, artists wasn't something, that, a choice you could really make. You know, it was really like you had to get a, you had to put food on the table. So I have a quote here from your book, My Feelings. Uh, Ecclesiastes warns about the making of books of which there is no end, the chain of meaning, this offering, the book we both will write today and today into today. And when I think about your creative journey and this sort of, when I look at your work, it's sort of a lot of thematic overtones of dealing with grief and tragedy. Can you talk to me about your creative journey and what that quote means to you about writing the same book? And that line, the same book over and over again, today and today. Yeah, and, and warning about it, too. It's just interesting. I'd heard that. I mean, I haven't even read all of Ecclesiastes, but uh, I, I sort of find things sort of rise up out of the, you know, um, you know, I've read certain books of the Bible, but that one I haven't read the whole thing. Of. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a danger to writing books. I mean, Plato talked about it, too, right? He, he banished the poets from Greece, and I sort of understand why, uh, um, and I have a very strange relationship to writing, like in a way, to, to create a process. Like I think there is something about writing. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this right now. There's something about writing and creating a story to contain an experience, which then separates you from the experience. Uh, separates you from. Um, it can be a container that you pass to someone else, and then they have their own experience. But then, what does that do to the moment they're living in? Is the question. Hmm. Um, that I'm wrestling with right now, like what is the purpose of it in some way? To, if it if it keeps you from actually feeling what you're feeling right in that moment, uh, and that's what that's what Plato was concerned about, right? That was that's why he banished the poets because they were they were doing that. Um, it's strange, you know, strange things, and also like the the limits that one needs in order to write, like the sort of the limitations, you know, like Pound wrote his best. The cantos were were horrible up until they put him in a cage. And then when they put him in a cage, the cantos got good. Uh, the day before he got put in the cage, uh, he was writing celebrations of Hitler. Uh, the day he's in the cage, <laughs> the next canto is like this beautiful observation where we just shut up and listened and observed the world and was present in the world for once and not in his own crazy head. Um, there's something about that, about sort of like dissolving the ego, like how you can sort of create something and also dissolve the ego and... Uh, still make something that somehow has meaning, but the meaning is, is, is unstable in some way. Like, if it has one meaning, that seems problematic to me. Uh, if it has only one thing, you say, oh, this is, you should feel this when you read this. That seems problematic to me. It should be more of an experience, like how to contain uh, life in, you know, writing that does not deny the fullness of experience that can still happen, that it can still be something happening, something existing. So how is that tension playing out for you right now? How are you exploring that frustration or that dilemma? Oh, it's a, you know, it's a disaster for a writer to, you know, just questioning all this stuff. <laughs> Why? Why is that a disaster? Well, because this is what everyone struggles with, right? I'm mean, yeah. assuming along the way these same questions. Well, some people don't. Some people just assume that telling a story is a, a safe and, and, and noble profession, you know? Like, some people assume that that's like that's all they, they don't question it, you know, there's like a, I, I think if you're like a, you know, most fiction writers, you don't really have time to, you have so much work you have to do, the heavy lifting of mm-hmm. work, but that's the thing with poets, you have so much time to think and to question what you're doing. Uh, uh, so, how's it playing out right now? I mean, I'm writing all the time right now, but I'm, it's a, it's a, 
I mean, my, my writing is always, I think there's always been that level of like questioning like what it is I'm doing, that storytelling. There's that great Dennis Johnson line at the end of a poem that's in Incognito Lounge where he sees a barn burning, I think. He sees some tragedy. He's sort of going by some tragedy and sees it. And then at the end of the poem, it ends with, and, and God help me, I pulled over to the side of the road and wrote this poem. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. that sort of, like, contains, like, the... And that's, been a, that's, that's something that I sat up. I read that, like, you know, when that book came out, like, in the early 80s. And I remember sitting up and thinking, that's it. That's, like, the... And that's sort of been one of my struggles uh, as a writer, as an artist, like, like... What's not? It's, it's it's sort of borders on responsibility. What's your responsibility as an artist? But it's also just on what it is, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like what is this, this abstraction? Taking this abstraction and trying to think that it's making meaning, and does it keep us from actual bigger meaning of the universe, or does it actually like to sort of like put it in this little box that allows us to move forward blindly? Uh, <laughs> those well, are my struggles right now <laughs> well I mean this kind of makes sense because when I read the poem the incomprehensibility there's a line that you have from Lorca in there that is and this will be the final question uh, and I want to leave it at this is yeah only mystery allows us to live yeah how does that relate to what you're talking about now and, and your creative process and, and your creative journey yeah I mean but you know pushing it I mean uh, I like the scientists, like, like a, there's a scientist named David Eagleman right now that has a TV show on Channel 2 called, on PBS called The Mind. And uh, he's a scientist I, res- I really respect. He's, he's also become a friend. Uh, and he, um, uh, he says, you know, the, the, there's, a, there's a certain humility you have to have to be a scientist and, and, and because it's, we know so little. You know, we know so little that there's this vast, like what we know compared to the vastness of the universe is almost nothing. It's like this pinpoint of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And just that, like this, this mystery and, not, and how we push into it, but pushing into that mystery is like, it's, 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 it's fraught. It's like, you know, it's uncharted territory. It's fraught. There's no, there's no bearings. You have no bearings. You have no way. And uh, you don't know where you're going with it. And it's, it does seem like our job as artists and scientists, maybe it's just as human beings to sort of like we have this, mind, this uh, potential to do that, uh, to push into that mystery. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's risky. It's, risky uh, it's a risky proposition. It's, it's riskier than, uh, than being an electrician, I found. <laughs> really? Oh, to write poetry? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Much riskier, yeah. What would the guys you worked with on, uh, during the electrical jobs or the guys that were scared of you, what would they say if they heard that? Well, uh... You know, they would, I probably had, I probably wouldn't say that to them until uh, until uh, they were at some crisis moment in their lives where suddenly they found a poem that somehow uh, allowed them to take another step, and then I think they would understand. I bet you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed my feelings. You're totally your life is there as all your work and with. Uh, the beating heart, I guess you could say. Uh, you are no longer listening to the Working Poet Radio Show. Nick, thank you so much for being Thanks, here. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe.